Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to 31 Days of Terror 2023, day number 17, and today's story comes from Brandy. In no way do I consider myself a sensitive or a psychic or a medium. I don't particularly think that I'm a haunted person or anything like that. I just simply have some stories that I can't explain any other way than to say, yeah, that, um, that was a ghost. In the spirit of sharing creepy stories because we all love them so much, I'm going to start this email with stories that aren't my own but begin with my grandma, then my dad and then my own. These stories encompass ghosts, small folk as my grandma called them, UFOs and even potential cryptids. I know it's a lot, it's ridiculous, but I believe them all despite my desire to debunk them. So, to quote yourself, let's get into it. My grandma was born in Belfast back in the 30s. We lost her in 2008 or 2009 and not only did I lose the most loving maternal figure in my life, we lost having a lot of these stories on tap. I read a quote, Whenever an elder dies, a library burns down. I can honestly say this spoke to me when we lost her. The stories of her own life and memories during World War II Her spooky experiences, her knowledge, her superstition, her kindness and of course her own narrative of my own life. The memory keeper of my earliest years I'll never know from anyone else. All gone. My grandma was a special person. She was spunky, hilarious, had no problem standing up for herself or her loved ones but was infinitely kind and thoughtful often stashing away cash to dole out her grandchildren or children, or even mothers of the grandchildren if she felt they were struggling. She was generous, she operated with integrity and kindness, but she did not suffer fools. My love for her was, and still is, immense. She was also a total lady and was known to rock some killer decade-appropriate fashions. One of the earliest stories my grandma shared of her experiences with the paranormal was when she was a young girl in Newtown Arts. She and her friends would get dolled up to go dancing at a local dance hall. She would regularly swing by her girlfriend's house so they could make their way down to the dance hall together. Of course, before heading out, my grandma would rush into the house and before scaling the stairs would wave to her friend's granny who would always sit in the sitting room in her rocking chair and always delighted in seeing my grandma's smiling face. On their way out the door, they'd always lick their thumbs and rub them into the floral print on the wallpaper and use the ink transfer to freshen up the rosy colour on their cheeks and their pouts. 
On one occasion, Grandma went flying up the stairs and paused to wave to her friend's granny and was a little surprised she wasn't in her usual spot. When she got upstairs, she asked her friend where her granny was today and her friend looked genuinely confused. My grandma asked again, Your granny, she's also in the sitting room and I didn't see her today. Is she away? Her friend seemed visibly creeped out and showed my grandma some photos and asked if she saw the lady in any of those images. My grandma pointed her out straight away, still not sure where this was going. Her friend then said, That's not possible. She passed away a few years ago. My grandma said it shocked her, but she didn't feel afraid. She thought the woman was always kindly when she saw her. My grandma ended up explaining it away to her friend, I'm not sure how, but after that she never saw her friend's granny again. To be honest, the highlight of that story for her was never about the ghost, but how hilarious it was looking back at their choice of cosmetics. My grandma has always been quite sensitive without ever admitting she's sensitive. For example, there are a number of pictures of her visiting the Tower of London looking absolutely miserable. My dad found them hilarious and my grandma would always tut at this. I asked her why she didn't like the Tower and she'd always reply with, I just didn't like it there, it's a horrible place. My dad would always say to me aside, it's a very active place, if you know what I mean. As a child, I did and I didn't, so I just nodded wide-eyed and accepted that as gospel. Another experience in Newtown Arts was when my grandma and grandpa were walking home from the dance hall one evening. It was not uncommon to leisurely stroll home arm in arm after a night of jiving, and this night was like every other with the exception of a soft blanket of snow that had fallen while they were inside. My grandma did a wonderful job of explaining this evening. The air was clear and fresh and the night was filled with that calm quiet that comes with the audio cushioning of the snow. Street lamps illuminated their walk and it was a truly magical feeling from the way Grandma explained it. This time of the evening was for couples and friends to enjoy each other's hushed company in the fresh night air and greet others doing the same. Nodding hello, nodding good evening, wishing a good night before returning to the conversation being held with their loved ones or friends. This evening was no different. As my grandma and grandpa made their way home and past their friends, they had a stretch of road that was quieter and less populated to go. They noticed two figures huddled together also making their way down the road. My grandma noted that they looked a little odd in the sense that they were essentially bundled into blankets and shawls around their bodies and heads as they shuffled awkwardly in tandem with each other. But she choked it up to it being a colder night than usual and dismissed it. As they got closer to the couple, my grandma thought perhaps they were children as they were very small. Both my grandparents and the couple slowed as they approached each other and my grandma was confused to see that these children had rather adult presenting faces. My grandma said hello in greeting and the two individuals regarded her with their super sharp green eyes. Another detail my grandma took note of and one of them replied, Good evening, people. The emphasis my grandma observed was on the word people, almost as if identifying my grandparents as humans in a way that a non-people would. Anyway, 
The couple giggled, looking pleased with themselves, and shuffled off in the snow, leaving my grandma and grandpa staring at each other a bit befuddled. She legged it back after that. I don't think she much liked the exchange. And knowing my grandma, she was superstitious AF, so if she genuinely thought it was we folk, she'd not leave herself vulnerable. As I mentioned, my grandma was very superstitious. If asked about it, she'd deny, 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 but that never stopped her from cleaning the house from top to bottom and preparing two feasts on New Year's Eve, one on the dining room table we weren't to touch until after midnight and the other in the kitchen we could help our hungry selves to beforehand. This, I read, was an old Irish tradition of out with the old and in with the new for the new year. Also, it's bad luck to clean on New Year's Day. The dining table meal was in place so that the new year began with food on the table for a bountiful and prosperous new year. Not that she would ever explain that. In addition to the specific activities around New Year, she also kept a horseshoe by her ashtray, threw salt over her shoulder and God help the person who decided to put their shoes on the table. In a tender moment as well, when I was pregnant with my son, she insisted I didn't give him my grandpa's name. I told her I was considering naming him for my grandpa, who, by the way, is still alive and kicking. I just love him so much. As she had lost a baby with the same name and I had lost a little brother with the same name. I never knew about her loss and she found it difficult to tell me about it, but I reassured her I wouldn't use the name. In addition to being quirky and superstitious, another thing we just accepted as our peculiar grandma's characteristics was her aversion to certain people and activities. This is worth sharing though, so here it goes. My grandpa was crazy smart and they ended up emigrating to the Pacific Northwest for my grandpa's career. He was recruited to work for a very high-profile aerospace company as an engineer, so off they went as a cute little Irish couple with their two sons aged 6 and 14. They settled into Washington State suburbia, which at the time was heavily wooded with loads of space between houses, filled with moss, pine trees, lush greenery and nature. All the wonderful things that the Pacific Northwest has to offer. My dad was able to grow up as a rough and tumble little boy, making his way around the woods with his posse of friends and having all the adventures. My uncle, who was older, also had his own adventures and even named one of the sharp curves of the road Drunk Dog's Corner because he wrecked his first car there because a drunk dog went into the road and he had to swerve to miss it. We all laugh about it now, but the only drunk dog was my underage drink-driving uncle at the time. The area they lived in remained magical and forested and wooded all the way into my 20s. Driving there was an effort, but so worth it. Some of my happiest, if not all of my happiest memories from my childhood are from my time with my grandparents in this location. If you're ever curious or would like to look it up, the place is called Black Diamond, Washington. My cousins and sister and I would spend nearly every weekend with our grandparents. Our grandma was more of a maternal figure to us than our own mother at times, most of the time. While I can't speak for my cousins, we all collectively agree that this place was our safe haven and our love for grandma and grandpa was limitless. We had very different home lives, but at grandpa's and grandma's we were loved, cared for and given amazing experiences we'd not be able to have otherwise. We would regularly take day trips to beautiful spots in Washington state like Flaming Geyser Park, North Bend, to see Snoqualmie Falls. 
If you've seen Twin Peaks, you'll know the waterfall I speak of. Mount Rainier, the Olympic National Park, Leavenworth. So many adventures we'd never have had without my grandparents teaching us how to be tourists in our home state. Always playing oldies on the radio as we drove. Always stopping for lunch. Always ready for an impromptu photo shoot by my grandpa. Grandpa always ready to discuss Washington state history and the indigenous people it should belong to. We grew up with a respect and appreciation for where we lived, thanks to them both. Despite our weekend adventures out and about, there were also certain things we couldn't do as dictated by our grandma. Always the worried maternal figure, my grandma would absolutely 100% forbid us from playing in the front yard of their home. Of course this drove us nuts because there were so many kids in her neighbourhood that would play in the driveway across the street. Basketball, bikes, roller skates, sprinklers, you name it, they did it all. And while we loved our grandparents, the house wasn't always kid-friendly. We watched a lot of movies and played a lot of dress-up. If we ever wanted to venture out, my grandma insisted that she would stay with us. This was the 80s and the 90s, so this wasn't the norm. Generally, in those times, you'd be booted out the door and wouldn't be back until the streetlights started to turn on. So yeah, we all thought Grandma was a bit nuts. She'd never let us venture further than the driveway, so it just kind of defeated the purpose of trying to befriend the neighbourhood kids. My grandma just didn't want us mixing. She'd sit on the step watching us play as she nervously bounced her leg and smoked her cigarettes, urging us to come in now girls, we'll play inside. Years later I came to find out that the dad in the house across the street ended up being a paedophile, and had been outed by a number of the neighbourhood children who had been abused by him. I remember her being slightly smug about it. I knew I didn't want you over there, I just didn't know why. So overall, Grandma was quite an intuitive in addition to seeing full-on apparitions. One of the other rare occasions, she shared an apparition story with us when she went to eastern Washington with us and we stayed in the home of my cousin's other grandmother, From what I remember, she really didn't enjoy the stay, and we ended up booking a hotel. She explained that the little old lady who lived there before my cousin's grandma moved in was still there and wouldn't stop waking her up. She was more annoyed over the loss of sleep than seeing a ghost, which leads me to believe she probably had an infinite number of similar stories she never shared with us, and I can only imagine why not. This ability or attunement or whatever seems to have passed down to my dad as he has had a number of similar experiences as my grandma that he has happily shared with us. With the exception of Mrs McGinty, he would get teary-eyed with fear when he talked about her. When the sixth sense came out, I remember telling my dad I wished I could see ghosts like that. His reply was, no you don't, trust me. I pushed him into explaining why he felt that way and he reluctantly went on to explain that his childhood was similar to that, and he didn't even realise it was weird until he was a teen. He said he managed to shut it out when he was a teen or young adult, but had recently opened the floodgates a bit again. This conversation opened up a whole new dynamic for our conversations going forward. To give a little bit of background on who my dad was, he was simply just the best. He too is gone now since 2014, but the grief is still a solid lump in my throat. Jamie Anderson said, Grief, I've learned, is really just love. It's all the love that you want to give but cannot. 
All of that unspent love gathers in the corners of your eyes, the lump in your throat and in the hollow part of your chest. Grief is just love with no place to go. That sums up how I feel about my dad. If you asked his best friends who he was, he was the hedonistic artistic friend who would never say no to a party or a camping trip or a Grateful Dead fish concert. If you asked my grandparents who he was, he was their beautiful, creative, exuberant and crazy intelligent child prodigy. If you ask me, he was my soulmate who made me laugh and loved me unconditionally in a way I could never imagine anyone else ever loving me again. In his later years, after life knocked him back a bit, losing a child, getting a divorce from an unfaithful partner, heartbreak after heartbreak, Peter Pan syndrome, he leaned rather heavily on alcohol which really affected his ability to enjoy life and ultimately led to his passing, as alcohol tends to do with Manny. But I have to say, despite all of that, he still remained the hilarious, artistic and kind soul all the way to the sudden and unexpected end. Much like his mother, my dad did not suffer fools. If my dad didn't like you, you knew it. Luckily, there weren't many that he didn't like. Also like his mom, he saw ghosts. A lot of them. And he had three descriptions for what they were. Elementals. Potentially scary, most disliked encounters. Had never been human, intelligent and interactive. They could be good or bad tied to the elements or the earth or a location like the encounter that he had had at a privately owned castle in Northern Ireland whatever it was residing there rattled the stone walls while it bellowed at him to get out complete with foul smells and visual distortions of hallways getting longer the harder he ran towards the door at the end of the hall another location my grandma did not like a psychic imprint not scary Much like when you switch the TV off the screen but the image remains imprinted for a moment. That's what these ghosts are like. Just a video recording playing over and over again. Like the janitor at the aerospace company he worked at that had died years ago after decades of employment but continued to mop the floors regularly. And ghosts. Just ghosts. Dead people that hadn't moved on. Second most disliked encounters. Potential to be scary, but Dad had a formula for not being scared. Being angry. He said fear is energy and so is anger. These ghosts need energy to manifest or make more of an impact. And fear energy is a great fuel for them. So instead, he would let the fear feeling trigger him into anger. Which, yes, is energy as well, but it's aggressive and tends to put them off. From what Dad said anyway. They can't match that energy if it's directed at them. One thing he said regularly was, fuck you, you're dead and I'm not. And that always seemed to work for him. So yeah, that was my dad's theory on ghosts. And while I think there are probably more variables, I feel like it's a good baseline to start his stories with. So let's talk Mrs. McGinty. Mrs. McGinty was a sore topic for my dad. My grandpa found it amusing as dad described her as being a lady who was small like him, when he was like four or five, with blue hair. He'd talk to her and play with her and get into trouble with her. My grandma remained stoically indifferent and brushed it off as a just an imaginary friend. But her resistance to reminisce about it led me to believe she wasn't fond of the memory around Mrs. McGinty. My dad would get uncharacteristically quiet when asked about her. 
His eyes would fill up with unshed tears and he would say quietly, I I don't want to talk about her. I brought her up again to dad years after first learning about her from grandpa and dad explained that he doesn't remember her and he doesn't want to try because he doesn't want to be open to it again. He solemnly said that whatever it was, it wasn't imaginary. It was like something more elemental and he didn't like that it was messing with him as a child because children are vulnerable. I had so many questions but didn't push it further with him because, well, he just wasn't having it. Mrs McGinty lived in Ireland, so when they moved to Washington I'm assuming they left her behind. I don't think spirits can get passports. And my dad went on to live his best crazy kid life in the Pacific Northwest. The group of friends he made when he was young remained his friends into adulthood and many of them I consider to be uncle figures still. As teens in that awkward time period before driving but with that desperate need for independence they would sneak out into the freaking woods alone because you literally had to walk miles to meet up and it was very rural where they lived. They would meet each other at the lake to drink or smoke the devil's lettuce and go swimming in the dark. My dad's best friend Aaron lived on the lake so his house was the last stop before they made their way to the boat launch where they do whatever it is 14-year-old boys do in the middle of the woods at night. Once the kids had collected Aaron, they started making their way to the boat launch when they heard a car coming. All the lads jumped into the bushes off the road to hide. You never know who might catch you and send you home or tell your parents. Once the car had passed and the coast was clear, they were about to make their way out of the bushes when they heard some rustling across the street. They all instinctively remained in the bushes, all four of them, and waited for the rustling to stop. As they waited, my dad explained that a group of very, very small men stepped out of the bushes. They were whispering and talking to each other in a language he didn't recognise, and they were dressed in very natural garb. Loincloths, furs, etc. Apparently they didn't appear to be taller than his shins. They carried spears and rudimentary weapons and it was very clear that they were proceeding with caution across the street to the greenery on the other side. When the subtle chatter and rustling had ceased and the small men were out of earshot, they all tumbled out of the bushes, understandably freaking out and marvelling at what they had all witnessed. I feel like I should explain, this was pre-lake party time so no mind-altering substances were in use yet and they all swear that it happened. Sadly, Aaron ended up passing away when they were in high school. His car rolled over him. It's my understanding he was trying to push it up a hill and lost his footing. He suffered internal injuries and was hospitalised a few days before he passed. But what's worse was that he was still conscious or awake when he was in hospital and he knew he was dying. But I suppose it's also a blessing because my dad was able to spend time with him. He stayed with him until the end. One of the conversations they had while he was with him was remembering the little men in the woods. My dad said to Aaron, It really happened, didn't it? Like we saw that, right? About the little forest tribe. And Aaron agreed on his deathbed, no less, that yes, they absolutely did see this and still had no explanation for it. Who were they? I literally have no clue. Do I believe my dad? Yes, 100%. Who the hell they were though, I don't know. The woods were vast at this time. I suppose if an indigenous community of literally teeny people wanted to survive, I'm sure they could have. 
but I've still no clue what the hell they were. PNW wee folk? Vivid imaginations of boys in their teens who loved Tolkien? We may never know. The friend that passed away had an older brother who ended up inheriting the family lake house, there by the spot where they saw the little men, and close to the boat launch party spot. As an adult, my dad ended up renting this house from his friend's brother. We will refer to the house now as the lake house, complete with caps because it certainly commands this level of respect and fear. But we'll come back to the lake house, as this is jumping too far ahead of my dad's timeline. I know I keep gushing about my dad, but he really was so fucking cool. As a kid, he was very into monster makeup and special effects makeup. He had so many ghoulish masks hanging around that he had crafted when he was younger and passionate about creating things from the batshit and truly magnificent imagination of his. My grandma would sigh in exasperation, sending the boys home to their mothers for dinner with prosthetic injuries and seeping bullet wounds after coming over to play. He was such a ghoul, but it was amazing. So naturally, I kind of took his stories from his young years with a pinch of salt. For example, he swore up and down that a silvery disc of a UFO kept pace with his parents' car once when they were driving through the winding, wooded and sloping path to their home. It kept pace on the left side of the car so my dad and grandpa were able to see it and my grandma was serenely oblivious to it smoking her Bensons out the cracked window on the other side. Did it happen? I don't know. But it's a great story from the memory of a kid. Then he grew up a bit and enjoyed partying a lot. So some of the stories around those times I also took with a pinch of salt. Not that I think he was lying, just that he may or may not have been experiencing the effects of psychedelics as he was known to partake in from time to time as a young adult. And, you know, teenager and adult and mature adult. One story in particular had me convinced he was tripping, though he swears he wasn't. He emphatically explained that this was a party in the Kent Valley, and that he didn't know too many people there. And what's worse is that there were a lot of bikers, and according to my dad, bikers were the worst. Just the worst. So he said, that's not the situation to be tripping in. I have my reservations about this and you'll understand why. Apparently it was getting dark and the house was relatively posh, so I have no idea why bikers were there. And he was standing on the back deck which overlooked a large hillside. Apparently, he wasn't the only one to witness a giant rabbit come out of the woods and creep around the tree line. And apparently, it wasn't cute. It was some sort of terrifying atrocity of a rabbit that would have towered well over the height of the second floor deck had it been closer. My dad took his leave from the party. I'm not sure what to make of that one, but my God, if it's true, what the actual fuck? Okay, so my dad wasn't all party. He was crazy smart. He also worked as an engineer for the aerospace company my grandpa worked for. He was incredibly intelligent and tended to excel at whatever tasks or activities or hobbies he got involved in. I've never known anyone like him. He could build a computer, he could survive in the wilderness with a pocket knife, he could create an entire prop and prosthetics inventory for a gruesome horror film, he could fence with swords, but I'm sure he could have built one too if he needed to. He taught martial arts to law enforcement, he had a crazy good memory, he was an astronomer, he had a green thumb, he had a keen interest in science and physics and chemistry, he knew tons of first aid stuff, he would devour books quickly, could mimic any accent, and really good ones too, not once did I feel second-hand embarrassment when he'd try. 
He knew how to do so many things. What makes me sad is how much about him I don't know and never will. Because my god, there was probably so much more. So I suppose before we enter the lake house era, we've got to cover another story or two. He and my mom rented an apartment that overlooked a valley when I was a baby. At the time, he was working full-time and also going to college. Between that and a new baby, he was pretty sleep-deprived. One night, he got up in the middle of the night and was feeling thirsty, so went into the kitchen where he poured himself a glass of tap water in the dark and drank it absentmindedly while looking out the window. He said as he was drinking, he realised he was looking at an object hovering over the valley. It was some sort of oval-shaped object just suspended in the night sky. His brain was like, aha, the camera, which was just on the kitchen table. He put his glass in the sink and went to retrieve the camera when he heard his own voice inside his head say to him, you don't want to do that, go to bed. He stared at the object for a few more seconds and then turned and went back to bed. He said the next day he recalled it all and was proper freaked out about the voice in his head, more than the freaking UFO. Sorry Emma, I know you hate alien talk, but I promise that's where it ends. But not the ghosts. For example, Pike Place Market. We actually never went together until I was a teenager. We'd both been there multiple times, but never together bar one time when I was a child and my grandparents were with us. I always enjoyed when my dad and I got to do these things together. When I was a teen, he was drinking a lot more and it was hard to get him out and about to do stuff, so when he did, it was always an adventure. We made our way past the fish stalls and into the lower parts of the building where they housed all the amazing little bespoke shops that are full of character and generally a lot less populated with punters than the market stalls. I remember walking down an empty-ish hallway with him and then suddenly getting a little shimmery lurch in my stomach. You know that feeling when they say someone's walked on your grave? All the little arm hairs stand to attention, just a brief moment of that. I glanced to my dad, who was already looking at me with an amused glint in his eye. Did you feel that, kiddo? He asked. Um, I think so. What was that? He kind of smiled softly and then looked around and surveyed the hall as he sauntered down it in the confident and brisk way he tended to carry himself everywhere. Oh my god, dad, what was it? Tell me. Annoyed now because he wasn't satiating my curiosity. He looked at me and he goes, The air here, it swims. This place is so active, it's like ghost soup. The air is swimming with shit. By shit I imagine he meant ghosts and spirits and imprints. I still don't know what he saw and what I felt, but who knows. And while the flying fish of the Pike Place Market and the world's very first Starbucks tend to be the hot tourist spots, there were two spots my dad insisted we go. Tensing Momo so he could pick up some of his favourite Nang Champa incense, and of course, a lifelong favourite of his, the Market Magic Shop. We'd go in and look at all the random paraphernalia that would light up a child's eyes when it comes to mischief making, and then we'd make a stop at the in-shop fortune-telling machine, where we'd print out little cards with our fortunes on it. Years later, in the same year he died, I came home by myself for a visit after living in Ireland with my then partner and our son. I'd been away for six years and had missed my dad terribly in this time, feeling immensely guilty for not being there for him when he was hitting rock bottom with drinking. It wasn't what I wanted, to be away. It's just what life handed to me. When you have an Irish partner and an Irish passport and a child together, 
It just kind of had to happen that I made the move. You can tell that I still struggle with these choices and the consequences, but I digress. So yes, years later, after this first jaunt to Pike Place Market and a crazy long time away from home, I got to reacquaint myself with Seattle and surrounding areas. Slightly shell-shocked by my grief and disoriented by my feeling completely between places. I found myself visiting Seattle city centre one day and booking a hotel. And without thinking about it, making my way down half-heartedly to the Pike Place Market. Half of the inner me screaming with excitement that I was finally home. But the other inner half of me couldn't shake walking around totally removed and disassociated from everything through a haze of mourning. Grief is debilitating sometimes. I don't know how I managed it, but somehow I found myself at the magic shop. Happy memories just turning to tears because I wasn't ready to think of them in the past tense, or as something I'd never have with him again. I realised I needed to leave because I had a full face of makeup on and there would be no salvaging it if I started to cry. But I stopped when I saw the fortune teller machine. I figured, fuck it, and put in the coins. The machine did its rickety dance and the mannequin robotically shuffled around before a little card popped out for me. Was it a message? I don't know. But it certainly felt like it could be. I still have it to this day and have it tucked into a photo frame of my dad. It read, Oh, speed on, speed on, my little dove. Carry a message to the one I love. Though a cruel fate has us two parted, I know that the future has in store greater happiness forevermore. When that long-awaited letter finally comes, no words will be able to describe the joy that will be yours. Since you are so clever in many ways, you've learned to make the best of things. Your life, as a result, is not spoiled by the curse of boredom. You are fond of happy music and like to dance. You are an impulsive person, given to exclaim in ecstasy if things please you. I let myself feel the comfort of those words and let myself believe for a minute that there might be more, which felt dangerous in those early days of grief, forgetting that you're sad even just for a minute. It felt really good. And I did exclaim in ecstasy, although it was a teary exclamation. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I suppose it's time to take it back again to my teenage years and all the memories of visiting my dad at the lake house. Prior to actually seeing the lake house, I heard about it from my dad. The memories there with his friend the amazing spot on the lake, the parties he could host, 
the swimming he could do all year round, the mugwomp, a fictional lake character he and his friends would joke about, the canoeing and wakeboarding and whatever other thing lake house people do. I was suitably pumped. I loved the water, would find any excuse to go swimming. Oh, that river is glacier water. It's cool, just takes a second to acclimatise. I was stupid for swimming. Plus, I loved any excuse to head out to this area close to my grandparents and my dad and far away from things like school, work and living a turbulent home life with my mom and my stepdad. This house apparently had seven bedrooms. Thoughts of being able to move here and stay with my dad instead of home were swirling in my brain like feverish little storylines I couldn't wait to implement. The hype for this house was real. But the first time I ever saw it, before I even saw it, I felt a sense of dread. This house is located right on the lake, but there is a slightly narrow and relatively long and curvy driveway to go down before reaching it. Nestled between trees and foliage, it was a rather pleasant driveway and would be beautifully sun-dappled in the summers. So you'd think the excitement would grow the closer you get to the house. But my body just literally recoiled the minute we turned down the driveway. I couldn't tell you why. A lump in my throat, a feeling of dread, anxiety, fear, boom, like a physical assault. Never have I felt anything that dramatic. And then I saw the house. And I found it hard to approach after exiting the car. I remember I had to go to the 64th floor of a building once for a job interview. I didn't really think about it until it was time to step on the elevator. The person working there explained I had to go to the 30th floor first and then from there take the next lift up the remainder of the way. I nodded my understanding and thanked them and strode over to it confidently and pushed the button and then realised that I'd be carried up 30 flights with nothing below me. There was another person waiting to get on and my embarrassment and need for acceptance won over any sort of terror and we shot up to the 30th floor. I didn't dare look out any windows and I made my way over to the other lift on suddenly wobbly jelly legs to go up the rest of the way. It dinged open and then the doors closed again because I couldn't physically make myself step into the little capsule. My body totally betrayed me and my mind couldn't process it. I eventually did go up there, but please know I weighed out of my head if I really, really wanted this job. I didn't get in in the end either, before forcing myself to get on the lift. This feeling of my body making choices for me that my mind couldn't process in real time, that's how I felt when stepping out of the car to walk into the front door of the lake house. My dad had to physically come out and walk me in, and this house was a glorious mid-century masterpiece but in the real sense of the description. There were deeply piled green shag carpets that have seen some shit and a lot of peculiar building features that were probably considered ultra-modern when it was first built. Like a little landing mezzanine overlooking the living room that lended itself to my dad's room. The living room was slightly sunken off of the entrance hall and was encased in large floor-to-ceiling windows for ample lake view, which really was beautiful. Upon entry, the living room was directly ahead and down a couple of steps, and the bedrooms were down the hall to the left, kitchen and sitting room down the hall to the right, and a staircase immediately to the left of the front door that led downstairs to the lower half of the home that housed a recreation area, complete with pool table and wet bar. There were three additional bedrooms down there and a boiler room. 
There were floor-to-ceiling windows on the lakeside of the house and a sliding glass door that opened directly onto the lawn where you could make your way down to the lake. Bit of a weird layout, but clever too. I cannot begin to tell you how uncomfortable I immediately was. My dad kept appraising me with his eyes as he talked to us, so I know he knew I was feeling whatever energy was there. I was so unnerved by it. I genuinely went from one extreme of being excited to be here to immediate flight mode. I was getting whiplash with this experience. After he showed us the tour, we got settled into the living room to watch a movie together. Except I was getting distracted with movement. See, the TV location meant my side was to the front entrance. I remember sitting next to my sister watching the TV and the two of us turning our heads towards the front door repeatedly to see who was either walking past in the hall or walking past into the living room. Every time there was no one. But I'm telling you now it was busier than Paddington Station in that hallway. My dad just watched TV. No bother on him. But my sister and I had our heads wrecked. He finally looked at us and looked back at the TV and said, Just ignore it. Totally uninterested and unimpressed. We remained silent and wide-eyed. We shifted our butts at an angle so we were facing slightly away and tried to get into the movie. But of course, at night, windows turn into giant mirrors. So we of course saw the movement in the windows then. It was annoying more than anything after a while, but also, ew. Not even here half an hour and we already got to enjoy the delights of what is on offer at the lake house. Luckily, my sister values sleep over everything, so when it came time for her to hit the sack, she did so ghosts or no ghosts. She slept in the side sitting room and I could never understand where she got the sack to do that, but she did and it was fine. I, of course, had to sleep on the hideaway bed under the landing to my dad's room, right there in Paddington Station of the lake house. I hear people talking about the shadow man. Well, this felt like the family reunion. In the dark, I could see dark silhouettes of countless figures. Before we blame it on pareidolia, though, what sealed the deal for me on their existence was that they would pass in front of the windows, distinctly blocking the light difference. So instead, I looked up at the ceiling. Why I didn't hide under the covers is beyond me, probably because I knew it wasn't my imagination, it was straight up solid enough to block light. But I somehow felt staring at the ceiling with my eyes open was a better option. But no, this too was a mistake because I could see silhouettes of curious, jeering, faceless shadow heads leaning over the landing and looking down at me. My heart was racing, and I had to work up the courage to spring out of bed and into my dad's room. I slept on his floor. I slept on his floor, Emma, do you understand the choice I made doing this? My dad was a late 30s bachelor who didn't particularly care about housework or home hygiene, who snored heavily from heavy drinking. You better believe that come the morning his bedroom would be hotboxed with Budweiser farts and morning breath. And still, the floor of that Ren and Stimpy extreme close-up worthy room was way better than in Paddington Station. I tried to tough it out on the nights that I stayed there, but always inevitably ended up on my dad's floor. Unless I had a friend with me, something about a shared fear makes it not so bad. That and a sense of duty can't believe in your guests alone in Paddington while you go sleep in the safety of the fart hot box. One of the friends I would have over wasn't a believer and chalked up the swirly shadowy figures as our eyes playing tricks on us in the dark. 
That is until we decided to play pool downstairs one night. Because we were out in the woods, takeaways were relatively far away, and this was far before the times of Postmates. Frozen pizza was on the menu for us. We were downstairs playing pool without any rhyme or reason. The stick hits the ball into the hole, right? When the little egg timer we brought down with us alerted us that the pizza was finished. I left her solo downstairs while I ran up to fetch our dinner. As I quickly shuffled my way down the long, haunted ass hallway, I saw a girl sitting at the top of the stairs that led down to the basement and my heart lurched. With the mid-century decor, we also got that nice dim yellow mid-century lighting too. I slowed my walk until I realised it was actually my friend sitting there, clutching her knees to her chest with tears rolling down her cheeks from big mournful looking doe eyes. I of course asked her what was wrong, thinking maybe she somehow got bad news between when I saw her five minutes ago and now. And she just said, I don't want to hang out down there anymore, okay? So of course I agreed, but let her eat her dinner before I asked more probing questions as to why she came to this conclusion. She went on to explain that while she was sitting down there waiting for me and reading a magazine, she heard pounding on the boiler room door. It would then start and stop again and then start it again. She called out, hello? And she said that all that she heard was the deafening scream of a man demanding she get the fuck out. She never came over to the lake house again. She wasn't the first friend to experience something there. I'd also had my boyfriend over a few times. One night we were downstairs and had escaped into one of the three empty bedrooms to have some fun. We kept the lights off. I'm not sure why, but I think it was just an additional layer of concealment from adults who might not be impressed with teenage hanky-panky. So while we were spending time together, my boyfriend at the time kept, like, hitting the floor by my head on either side. Just slap, and then scrape. Eventually I was like, what are you doing, weirdo? And he replied, there's so many spiders down here and they keep crawling at your head, but I want to keep going. He certainly had his priorities straight. That freaked me out as I hate spiders, but when we turned the lights on, the carpet, which, by the way, did not match the deep piled shag upstairs, it was a nice, tidy, modern cream carpet, was clear and clean. No sex-smooshed spiders, no spider shrapnel. The place was devoid of spiders dead or alive. My boyfriend was truly perplexed and said matter-of-factly, that's fucking creepy. I mean, the lake house wasn't great if you were alone, but with company it was actually such an epic place to live. The summers there were amazing. Some of my happiest teenage memories are from the time spent there in the water with friends. Befriending neighbours with speedboats and swimming until we were too hungry to keep going. Floating on inner tubes and being goofy, happy, sun-kissed teenage girls. My grandparents even made the odd appearance and my friends gushed over their Northern Irish accents. One time we promised to make them dinner and looked up a recipe for crab cakes in one of the cookbooks that lived in the lake house. We made a big to-do of ingredient shopping and being super extra about setting the table for them. My grandma looked dubious about the food having never tried crab cakes. She could be very particular and God help her four hyper and slightly sunburned teenage girls were making her something with shellfish. But we worked away and photographed the whole experience with one of those little disposable cameras. We set the table for them, and they sat on the deck and ate like kings. My grandma ate three crab cakes and could not get over how delicious they were. 
Following this experience, my grandma would find herself ordering crab cakes the odd time on a menu, only to find with disappointment they were nothing like what we made her. We were so stoked to print our photos and were exceptionally disappointed to see that every single photo was ruined. It looked like someone had greasy fingers and took pictures after touching the lens. But then we realised it was always in a different spot. Every single picture had some sort of white mist or distortion in it. Instead of being creeped out, I was more angry because it was a proper core memory and we really wanted to have photos to remember it. But the lake house giveth and the lake house taketh away. It gives a good recipe book, but it takes away the photo documentation, apparently. So fast forward a couple of years and my dad and I decide to throw a Halloween party at the lake house. We had enough rooms that guests could crash over and we figured it would be a good time. I invited all my friends from work at Starbucks and my remaining friends from high school and he invited his friends and we had a pretty epic party. We even hired a DJ. Everyone had an amazing time. Except one of my friends. I was coming upstairs and she was leaving in a hurry. Well, where are you going? You weren't even going to say goodbye. She told me she'd explain tomorrow and that she just needed to go. She can be a bit shy, so I figured maybe it was all a bit too much and let her go. The next day I rang her and asked her if she was okay. I was such a people pleaser and was genuinely worried that maybe I'd neglected time with her at the party. She explained, no, not at all. She knew some of the people from my job there, but she saw something that unsettled her. She was sat at the kitchen table and was chatting with someone who was pottering around the kitchen when she realised something weird about the reflection in the window. So again, in the dining area, there were very large floor-to-ceiling windows and at night, they became glorified mirrors. She said that in her reflection, she saw someone sitting at the table with her. Someone who had a horrifically burned-looking face. It took a minute for her brain to process this. After all, it was Halloween and people dress up. So while her brain buffered to process what her eyes were taking in, she made two notable points to herself. The person was sitting, but very low, almost like as if it were a lower level of the house. And number two, the person in the reflection was not in fact sitting in the room with her. She blinked, she looked away and back, and it was still there in the reflection staring at her. She bolted and that was her experience at the lake house. I told my dad about this and asked him if the place was haunted. Of course I'd asked him this before and he'd exhaustedly say no. Of course not, it's just an old house. But then this happened and I was like, okay, you need to spill, this house is so haunted. And he said, well, I mean, obviously, but I didn't want to freak you girls out. Nothing here can hurt you. And then he went on to quote my favourite book of all time, The Shining. It's just pictures in a book, Danny. Me being impatient pressed further. And then it all came out. Well, I just think the fact that the person was burned is interesting. Did you know that this place was partially burned down twice? Uh, no, I didn't. Apparently, his friend's dad befriended a lot of unsavoury types in his period of empty nesting. A lot of bikers and others of this ilk would frequent the lake house in the final years of the old man's life. A lot of rowdy parties resulted in brawls and apparently burning of the house partially, particularly the kitchen dining room area. 
Was that an angry burned biker ghost just chilling on a chair on what used to be the level of the old dining area? Maybe. My dad then went on to say that the place might seem active now, but it's actually a lot quieter than it was when he first moved in. The bouncing ping pong ball in the bathtub that the cat was certainly not playing with because he was sitting on my lap was mere child's play compared to what my dad dealt with initially upon moving in. He said that mostly what is here is residual energy. However, what my friend experienced in the boiler room being shouted at was more prevalent everywhere in the house. He said he had to go into each room and face what was in each room one by one. He said he brought his favourite nag shampa incense around with him and sat cross-legged on the floor of each room and basically confronted every energy he found. He repeated his mantra, I'm alive, you're not, fuck you, this is my house now. He didn't want to talk about what he saw or experienced in depth. I think this home had a lot of memories for him. His best friend was raised there, and I could only imagine this may have had something to do with what he was facing, whether spiritually or even just emotionally. When he finished doing this Darren cleanse, he felt pretty good about everything. The house felt cleaner to him. He'd still experienced the odd push as he was walking down the spooky-ass haunted hallway, but beyond that it was his castle and he was the king. After the lake house, he lived in a couple other locations before his death. I'm sure they all had their stories, but nothing compared to the lake house. Not even the house he shared with a friend in a town called Inumclaw, where they'd hear babies crying and women wailing. You see, it used to be a home that women would go to to have babies back in the day. I've no clue what they called them, but that's what it was. Even that was not scary compared to the lake house. One last bit before I close this off. My dad shared the lake house with two friends. One of them was named Doug. Doug was a kind man. He was an introverted, gentle giant of a man who loved devil and even owned one of those weird red hats from the Whippet music video and beer and watching movies. I never got too close to Doug, but I would always chat with him. I had a soft spot in my heart for him because I felt like he was probably very lonely. When I was around 20 years old, I had a dream about Doug. I can't remember the context of the dream, but he kept trying to hug me and it scared me. Doug and I never had that kind of relationship, but he kept trying to hug and hold me and wasn't saying anything. And I kept saying, what are you doing, Doug? Stop. Why are you being weird? I woke up feeling kind of creeped out, but chalked it up to having too much cheese too late the night before. A few weeks later, my dad rang me. Sweetie, I have some bad news. Doug passed away. It took me a minute to process this. We hadn't really seen him in a couple of years as he had moved out on his own after my dad left the lake house. Oh no dad, I'm so sorry, what happened? Genuinely upset for him and Doug. I really hoped that he would meet a nice lady and live happily ever after. My dad went on to explain that they weren't sure the cause of death officially, but they reckon he fell asleep and just didn't wake up due to heart failure. Because he was such a loner, the only reason we knew was because his sister hadn't heard from him for a couple of weeks. He had passed and nobody knew for weeks and this felt horrible, like we'd all somehow let him down. But then I remembered my dream and realised I probably had it around the time that he passed. Was Doug saying goodbye to me? And I just told him he was being weird. I cursed the dream, but really do hope it was Doug saying goodbye. 
I'm touched and surprised if it was, that I was important enough to him that he'd make a pit stop on his way into the next great adventure. As for my dad, I think I had a visitation dream of him too just before the year anniversary of his death. All year I had despaired that I genuinely didn't feel him. I just didn't. Not in the way I might have felt my mom or my grandma when a song comes on or I smell a certain perfume. I just couldn't see the connection between what I was experiencing and him. None of those little comforts that make someone feel like their loved ones are still with them in spirit. Only my little fortune teller card. And I tried. I talked out loud to myself, to my dad. Please let me know you're okay. Please let me know that you know how much I love you. Please show me some sign that you know how special you are to me. Please make me less scared of dying. I had a lot of dark nights of the soul the first year. Hell, the first few years. I've lost a parent and a sibling before I lost my dad. But the pain when he died was just unimaginable. I was desperate for anything. A visitation dream, an apparition, even just the smell of his soap. I'd even take that red and stimpy floor, anything. But no, nothing. I eventually got to a place where I took comfort in it though. These song lyrics sum up how I felt about not hearing from him. You're so serene, careening through the universe, your axis on a tilt, you're guiltless and free. I hope you take a piece of me with you. I took comfort in the idea that he was exuberantly heading on to the next adventure, maybe into Mordor, maybe in the TARDIS. But all I know is that he isn't here, and none of the things that kept him prisoner in his own life would hold him back anymore. No more guilt, regret, pain or heartache, no rejection or sadness, just that exuberant and creative soul with a fiery passion for experiencing as much as the world, nay the universe, has to offer. Maybe he'd remember me, or maybe I'd just be a distant happy memory of a time that was airy before his new awareness, but he couldn't quite put his finger on what it was. Just a song he enjoyed, but can't remember the tune anymore. He came to me in a dream as an otter, my favourite animal. His friend George was holding this otter. He was in his wetsuit and was waist deep in the water at Second Beach, a place we used to go camping and bodyboarding. George was younger, the way I remembered him when I was a child, and he was gently smiling at me holding this little otter. The otter looked at me with curiosity and then swam over to me. I tried to hold him, to hug him, because I knew it was my dad. I don't know how, but I just did. And he wouldn't let me. He crawled on my shoulder, in my hair, everywhere, but I couldn't hold him. And then he jumped down and went back to George and sat in George's arms and looked at me. George said softly, It's time for him to go now, kiddo. And then he turned around and walked through the water in the direction of the big waves. I woke up with tears streaming down my face and crying in that horrific way you do when your voice decides to get in on the action. And that was it. Brandy, your dad sounds like an amazing man, first of all, that needs to be said. And I hope that writing this has been sort of, I don't know, cathartic and that it's felt like a bit of an ode to him to be able to celebrate him and talk about this side of him, this like supernatural, paranormal, spooky side of him. And I hope that, yeah, I hope it was cathartic for you. I love the quote, whenever an elder dies, a library burns down. And I think that's such an amazing way to describe losing 
our older generations, like losing our grandparents and stuff. Because like you said, they have a wealth of stories about lots of things, but also a wealth of stories about your youth and your childhood and stories that involve you that you'll never hear from that person again. Your granny sounds like an absolutely amazing woman. And I love the little details in her stories, like how they would... (laughs) lick their thumbs and put it on the floral print of the wallpaper and use the ink to rouge their cheeks and their lips. And it really does sound like your granny was somebody who was massively in touch with her spiritual side, even if she wouldn't admit to it. Like that story about seeing her friend's grandmother every day and just being like, oh yeah, she's bopping in and up the stairs to go to dances and whatever. And then realising that that woman is not there and has been dead for quite some time. Interestingly, one of the things about the fairy folk that is often spoken about in stories about fairy folk in Ireland is that they have piercing green eyes or piercing blue eyes. And I can totally understand your grandmother being like, yeah, I don't know what that was. And but secretly thinking that it was most likely to be fairies (laughs) and understanding that uh, under no circumstances should you mess with the fairies because they are dangerous, dangerous little entities. And when it comes to your dad, like... That story about seeing the little group of teeny tiny men step out of the bushes speaking in a language that wasn't understood by the boys carrying spears and weapons and whatever. Like what was going on there? Is that some other fairy shit going on? Or was it just the wild imagination of a group of 14 year olds who still apparently on their deathbed insisted that it actually happened? I honestly think stories like that where you're like that's mental That is so wild. That is crazy. Stories about cryptids or living humanoid creatures really intrigue me and fascinate me. And because they're so bizarre all of the time. And it's something that you would spend the rest of your life questioning if you were somebody that witnessed it. And I know, for example, the story of the giant rabbit that your father told sounds absurd. You know, this giant rabbit coming from the tree line. I have covered stories on Patreon about people who have seen similar giant rabbits in various parts of the world. People of various ages, etc., who were definitely not at a party where people were taking loads of psychedelic drugs. So maybe giant rabbit people is also a thing, or just giant rabbits. Maybe that is also a thing. The lake house sounds like a really amazing place, and I can understand that you would have had this duality of, it's an amazing place to hang out, it's so much fun, we can do all these great things and the house is amazing. And then, but the house is also actually really scary and scary things happen at the lake house. And maybe the lake house was just one of those places where the energy was high. It's next to water. Paranormal people always say that water is a great conduit for spiritual energy. It was a place where there was lots of parties over the years, where emotions ran high in lots of different senses of the word. And like your dad said, it sounds like there's a combination of like residual energy and scary shit. The lake house sounds like somewhere where no matter what you believe or what your ability is or your level of link with the paranormal world, that you're going to experience something, whether you like it or not. Thank you so much to Brandy for sending in your story. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Remember, if you would like to send in your story, you can do so by emailing it to reallifeghoststoriespodcast.gmail.com. You can also check out the website reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. And if you are desperate for some extra content, you can subscribe to the Patreon. That is patreon.com forward slash reallifeghoststories, where for $5 a month or $2 a month, you get access to heaps of extra content, as well as every single main and mini episode completely ad-free. 
And on that note, I shall see you tomorrow.